Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the Empty Stands Podcast. It's been a long while, and I'm happy to welcome you back to another episode of this podcast. And on this episode, I'm joined by Bamizi and Uyi, who will be joining Nebuka and I to talk through the World Cup qualifiers with a focus on Africa. Nebuka, how are you doing today? Hi, Chooks. I'm good. Been a while, as you said, but it's lovely to be back here. We have a lot to talk about regarding the World Cup qualifiers, and we have Bamiji and we who are experts when it comes to African football. Bamiji actually flew to Abuja to watch Nigeria play live, and yes, we'll be hearing from them. We'll be hearing about the Nigerian game and other games that went on during the international break. But before we go into it, please remember to like and subscribe to this podcast on all platforms. Reach out to us on Twitter at The Empty Stands or on Instagram at The Empty Stands Podcast. So we'll start with the most disappointing encounter, both in terms of the results and the football on display. We please tell us what really went wrong in Abuja and do we have a goalkeeping problem? Yes, um, thank you, Ebuka. Uh, I'll, I'll first of all say thank you for inviting me to this discussion. Um, yes, I'll say, first of all, I'll start with disappointment. Um, what should what, what you range wrong? That's the big question. First of all, I'll say, remember the last time I came to this podcast, I spoke about if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And it seems that the Nigerian team has been hell-bent on not um, following that adage. So... Results and I know it's a surprise to me. Um, doing the AFCON, I, I complained about a lot of things. First of all, in terms of the tactical approach to the team, the tactical in-depth and the knowledge between the team. You know, and people people take for granted a lot of the little things that the choice to put in place. They just feel that they're not part of the game, and unfortunately, those little things have made us no longer um to no longer to be in this work. First of all, I would say um, what is our tactical approach? What did the government do differently? The government did not do anything differently. The only thing they did was to play the same formation he played in the Nations Cup and replace some personnel. He did not respond to the... It was clear that he did not study the Ghanaian team. Everybody knows that the Ghanaian team is strong when it comes to the midfield. So you need to understand the midfield. And I always say one thing. It is people underrate the, the importance of having a video analyst. Raw always had a video analyst with him and they will watch matches on and on before the match kick off. And they knew exactly the value that was adding to this team. But the NFF chairman Pinnick and every other people that were involved in Nigeria football, they just take all these things for granted. Look at another issue was in the goalkeeping, goalkeeping area. Yes, the goalkeeping, we have a goalkeeping problem. Why? I would say that um, initially the same problem, Raw identified this challenge and brought in an Italian to assist initially, but the same Nigerian NFF were complaining that there was too so much overhead, and after a while, they had to take the, the guy had to go back, and as soon as the guy came back, came, went back, they said they have none of these problems. Yes, and so people will, say, people will say no that these guys are keeping for their clubs, but it's not only about their clubs. You understand? What is the mentality they are bringing to the game, South African match? 
who is going to psychologically talk to them and give them the confidence? People underrate all that. So it's unfortunate. Um, what is the common denominator? Today we start bad Okoye. Tomorrow we start Zor. They're making child um childish mistakes. Simple, simple mistakes that they're not supposed to make. The common denominator is the goalkeeper trainer, which is Aloyago. I don't know what Aloyago is to do in that team. Fortunately, the team has been disbanded, and I hope that they will take these little things for granted. Yes, the, the Ghanaian team, they wanted it more. They understood the, the rudiments behind the game in terms of not just the the basics of going to the pitch, but the little little things that make up a make up a victory. Yes, so that, that's what was the difference. They looked at their first of all, they had they look at their look at for their best tactical team in Europe, brought them in, and ensure that they they in the Abuja match, the first half, we changed to 4-3-3, worked perfectly. There was space on the wings. Second half, the um Ghanaian coach changed his pattern from 4-3-3 to 5-3-3. But instead of the Nigerian team to react immediately, they were still trying to struggle with the Ghanaian team. The wings were blocked, just like they did in the first leg. So it was left for the Nigerian team to say, okay, let me go into a, a flat 4-4-2 formation, bring in the gallo immediately, bring in somebody, take a look more from the left, or uh, take a look more from the left, bring him to the middle, and take out one of Etebo or, or Eka. But they didn't react fast. So I think tactical ineptitude has cost us the walk up out. And I hope that um, Nigerian football can learn from this. I know that football is not about dribbles and show 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 booting. It's about how to tactically plan and plan to succeed, which the Guardians have showed us. And it's very painful because what they've done so far now, it shows that they are better planners, not just football, but in every aspect of life. Because football is an aspect of life, and they've shown that they are better than us in terms of when you're planning for it, a very big activity. So that's basically what I have to say about the, the game for now. Well, that that was very in in depth, and it's it's difficult listening to feedback like this when you're in Nigeria and having watched the Nigerian side, Super Eagles, fall out of the opportunity to go for the World Cup. But looking at their opponents, the Black Stars of Ghana, do you think they deserve to make it through, considering the tactical ability that they showed and readiness in that game? Bamiji, seeing the game live, what are your takes on, on the Ghanaian side? All right, thank you, Chooks, for having me. Um, I'll just start off by saying that I really appreciate the quality that we tend to get in the Empty Stands podcast, and I really appreciate that Uyu went before me because he literally said every single thing. He, it's like he was there live as well, and he, he broke it down. But if you're asking me if Ghana deserves to um, have made it ahead of Nigeria, yeah, they, they plan. Like he said, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. They planned to win this game. They came with a plan and immediately you could see what he wanted to do. Once he scored his goal or once they got the goal they wanted, they immediately, you, you could sense the shift from, okay, we don't really need a goal. Let's see what, what they can do. Let's allow them, let, let, let's see what the action they, they will give us. And like um, we said, we did not respond to that. Okay, now let's go back to the group stage of the African nations and uh, everybody really praised Nigeria at the time. Three we're the only team in the in the tournament that had three straight wins, and everybody was excited. I mean, it was it was cause to be excited. But thinking about it now, the minute Tunisia brought something different from what we got from the three teams we faced in the group stage, we got knocked out. That's to tell you one thing: there's no tactical brain in that team, and that's funny to say because when Eguavon was asked what style he likes, he was asked he was responding to the. Person that asked him that, do you know Guardiola? So I want to understand how 
why why it was that cocky to ask that question when there can't be simple change when there is a different thing that's affecting someone has studied what you what you do and you can't you can't bring up a different system to to change that that's what messed up and if the, the question is if we have a goalkeeping problem definitely we do have a goalkeeping problem two major things have sent us out of the of of, of probably won the nations cup and now the world cup and you can trace them back to goalkeeping errors Marco Akwe against Tunisia was all against against them against Ghana it's it, it, Ghana did not play so well at, at the end of the game they had fewer touches than us the the possession ended 62 38 in Nigeria's favor so you can't say they played better than us or they had more quality than us they just had the plan and their plan worked simply it reminds me of the United Villarreal game a different issue someone that had a plan and someone who was just walking on by you get so Ghana did not they, they didn't have the better quality on they even look at the team sheet we looked so strong to 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 have even taken this game as long as it as it went but it is really unfortunate that Osime didn't get the kind of balls that he delivered that he would have he would have wanted or he gets at Napoli because most of the balls he, he received they had to adjust his body to either try and try a spectacular or he, he just was not put at the right spot for him to actually deliver and finally you saw that um, your crossing into the box was not working route one from the center backs to the falls are not working why not bring him probably the only person on the pitch who should take shots from anywhere on the pitch and that's the end of the he decided to not bring him on at all and that was a very very shocking decision from Eguavon and it's very very deserved that that team has been disbanded if the question is if Ghana um, deserved to make it true yes because they had the plan and their plan shown through better than ours. Oh, well, thanks to Obamji. And I, I definitely agree with you because the Ghanaian side did have a plan. It was clear that the Nigerian side were just not ready to, to make it through. It didn't look like they were ready to go ahead. But we bringing it back to you and the comments you made earlier about some of the things that went wrong for Austin Iguavon in, in that game or in those games in the playoff for the World Cup. What exactly what areas do you think he should have learned from the Afghan experience? And should we have replaced him before we even went into the World Cup playoffs? Okay. Um, first of all, I'll, I'll start by saying, you can't give what you don't have. So um, I know people were sharing about the first round. but right from the first match, I told people that this Egyptian team, they didn't come out at us. They wanted to like play easy and like, get a draw and bank on winning the other two games. So they played it easy. Fortunately for us, we got a goal, and that's the stabilized edition team, and so they're making changes here and there. But for the first game, I could see that the, the, the formation was static. Because when in that, that same Egypt game, when Egyptians brought in two other strikers to replace Trezeguet and the other guy in the middle, the game changed, and they started attacking us and attacking us, and there was no response. But because we had won the game, and next game we was entertaining, people didn't really take notice of it. So I'll go back to my, my statement. You can't give what you don't have. Eguavon was the coach of the under-17 team in 2003. He failed. Under-17 team, they, they were knocked out in the first round. Eguavon also took over the under-20 team and failed. First round. That was yeah, AFCON, not even the, the, not, not even the um, World Cup. Took over the under-23 team, he failed. He has been the coach of Nigeria before, he failed. 
and it's now this like like the fourth or the fifth opportunity is getting. So it's, it's clear that um, something that is wrong. Listen, other people have taken like Emmanuel Amuliki has taken the team to um, success before the seventeen team. That's one gold. Unfortunately, he has been able, he's narrowed himself into all this mud as part of it. So it's unfortunate that um, this actually had to happen. Everyone um, was too rigid in his tactics and he doesn't really understand modern day football. Those are the two issues I have with Egwavon. First of all, you keep on playing your 4 to 4 formation. I remember people telling him for a podcast that he did on YouTube where he was saying Nigerian football is about wing play and about um, a, a playmaker trying to lay the ball to the, to the wings. And I laughed. People were saying, no, that is old school football. Football no longer runs like that. Look at Liverpool, look at other clubs, look at Man City. You don't play that kind of style of football anymore. You understand? Now, okay, you have your, your formation 4 to 4. But how dynamic are you when you are challenged? You understand? You were challenged yesterday, um, this guy in Abuja. You couldn't react. Even in the game in, 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 in Accra, you couldn't react in Kobasa, sorry. You couldn't react properly. So it shows that there's a tactical ineptitude. But what do you do when you have a coach that's tactically inept like that? Look at other countries like Cameroon and uh, Senegal. They beef up the back backroom team with experienced, experienced professionals that will support the main coach. So if people look at uh, Senegal and say, Sisse, Sisse, Sisse. Sisse is assisted by two French coaches, two experienced French coaches assist Sisse. So don't look at it that Sisse that is in the work. There are a lot of foreign coaches that are working with Sisse in that Senegalese national team. And that's why they are bringing all the success. We don't have a video analyst. We don't have a proper computer trainer. Remember, was doing all this. They didn't. They didn't really. They took it for. They took it for granted. I can tell you that if it was Rod that was coach of that team, Rod would have immediately second half switched to a three-five-two formation. Brought in Yanacho and switched to three-five-two. Would have gotten the goal. They don't would have gotten the goal because Yanacho would have been close to Osime, giving him the passes. Osime was too distant. Every time Osime was with the ball, two people were on him, and he had to get the ball, go back to the midfield. To get the ball because the other guys were busy marking other players. So I was saying that um, the box stops as a as the coach. He did badly. It's not, it's not experienced enough. We need to get an experienced coach. There are many coaches out there. You have someone like Shea Lofujana in Gasapas, he's a technical director. He's doing very well. You can call him in. You can talk to Michael Menalo. You can help us recommend a very good coach. Those are the steps we need to take that Ghana took. And they, they, right now, they are enjoying the fruits of their labor. So I believe that. Um, the major culprit is the coach, and we're not in the World Cup because we didn't make a good coach selection. All right, thanks for that. We now move to Cameroon. Cameroon and Algeria gave us maybe the most exciting encounter over two legs. And we, I just want to ask, how did you, as a fan of African football, how did you handle the emotions, especially of that second leg? Well, okay, well I would say that um, it was a very tight game. Um, Algeria had the edge in the first leg because they played very well, they were very compact, and they were able to get a goal and defend the goal to the end of the match. But um, going to the second leg, I think the Algerians, they still have the Nations Cup hangover, so they were still lacking the confidence. So normally, before you consider the Algeria of 2019, when they get a goal, they want to go for another goal and go on and on. But they, they decided to, I don't know what, vacuum them, decided to play for a draw. And as they were trying to play cautiously, Cameroon got a goal by um, Chupamotin who scored a goal from nowhere. I think I don't think it was really a planned goal. He just got a free ball in the box and shot it in for one nil. 
Um, that prompted the Algerians to keep on attacking and attacking because they knew they didn't have any other option. Um, after the continuous attacking, they went into extra time and they kept changing their pattern of play and started going into crosses, crossing into the box. One thing I like about the Algerian team is that um, you can see their crosses, their crosses were pinpoint crosses, getting to the head of a player. Nigerian Spigus in their match, they played almost 200 crosses in two legs. And I don't think anyone got to the head of any player. I don't know what they do in training in Spigus. It's really a case to be called for. Because we need to understand why these simple things were not getting it right. Our free kicks are awful. Our corner kicks are awful. Our set plays are awful. So the things are supposed to be training, having a training come up every time. Who's going to be the free kick taker? Who's going to be the penalty taker and all that? So back to the Algeria game. Um, Yes, after um, the game plan worked out, they got a goal in three minutes at the end of the match. And it was like, okay, they've won the match. But there were still jitters. They were still jittering in the defense. After this, they've scored the equalizer. I'm pointing Cameroon got a loose ball in the box and took it can be converted. So I would say um, a good one for Cameroon. Though Algeria deserved more on the long run because they worked harder and they were in the lead for long parts of the two legs. But unfortunately, um, it's something that um, CAF needs to look at very, very seriously. They need to scrap the away goals rule. Let everybody come out and play football. You understand? Whether it's you're in Ghana, in Accra, or anywhere in Cameroon, let's see the best team in Africa go to the World Cup, not a team that comes and wants to defend. You understand? It's, it's quite unfair for Algeria to, to score 1-1, and Cameroon scores in their home in extra time, not even in full time, and the, the away goals rule is coming for Cameroon. So that's that things that need to be considered. Well, but I wish... Cameroon all the best. They are not the bad side. We showed that um, they can play football very well. But I think um, end of the Algeria did not fully, they were not fully overcome from the hangover of the Nations Cup, and the, the their confidence was not at a high level. So they were jittering all over, and that cost them the tickets. The coach has resigned, and I believe that they're going to put in a new structure to get a new coach and go back to the round table. Nations Cup is not fighting. The draws will soon be here, maybe hopefully next month, and we'll start playing qualifiers in June. So everybody should sit back up and get ready for their team. So I think the future is bright for all teams, and let's hope and see what happens to Nigeria, Algeria, and those teams that didn't qualify when we get to the next nation's cup. Seeing that, that Nigeria is out of the equation, and we're looking at the teams from Africa going into the World Cup, representing African football and the continent at large. Do you think it would have been better to have Algeria, the desert boxes? Do you think it would have been better to have them qualify, given that not African teams seem to be more technically gifted? Bamji, what's your take on this? No, all right. Look, looking at that, I'm, I'm actually struggling to actually like put why people keep saying not African teams are more technically gifted and probably the West or East African counterparts. Because one, the two things that have actually done very well for Africa in the past four World Cups are actually West African teams. And that's Ghana. We saw what Ghana did in 2010. And um, Senegal, both Senegal and so on, too, both reaching the quarterfinals of the World Cup. It was really disappointing in 2018 where no African team qualified for the, the knockout stages. And in... Um, the, the last two the last two in 2014 it was only Nigeria and um, Algeria that made it so yeah I don't the the North African teams especially Algeria they 
they've disappointed. Especially coming from this last Nations Cup, Algeria crashed out even despite chasing a record that could have made them um, eclipse Italy's um, great record of going the longest times on beat. I think they said, no, I'm, I'm not. I, I, I think I'm okay with the teams that are qualified for for the World Cup based on current form or I'm based on the showing from from the African Cup of Nations. Oh yeah, thanks for that, Bamiji. Algeria really messed up. Um, it would have been nice to have them there, but Cameroon are a very solid side. We saw how well they did in the Nations Cup. And hopefully they get to represent African football in the right way at the World Cup. Now to, <laughs> to maybe the most controversial fixture, Senegal and Egypt were asked to replay the AFCON final. And I can remember when we previewed the final, Uhe said, whoever wins the final should not go to the World Cup. That would be his preference. So you don't lose on both sides. But then we saw Egypt lose the final on penalties and then get knocked out, get knocked out again by Senegal. We, how did you, can you walk us through that, what I call laser tag of, of a fixture because we had too many laser incidents. Can you walk us through it and do you think the right team got through? Well, um, it was a very interesting game for me because first of all, the two teams had played in the final before, uh, just this year, not too long ago, and it was a tight game. Um, so, also expected that the two legs for the African qualifier, for the Walker qualifiers, be equally as tight, and they were equally as tight. Yes, the first leg, Egypt won one nil, a long goal. And coincidentally, the second leg played in Dakar, a an early goal was scored. But Senegal tried to put pressure on the Egyptian team and it didn't pay off. Um, one thing I know about football is that I think once you are on the high, uh, most, of, most of luck comes to the team that is always on the high. Once the team is confident, you start getting mistakes coming at your advantage. You start getting, I remember the French national team in the early 2000s when they were on the high after winning the World Cup and the European Cup. You find that most of the matches they played during that period, they would just maybe get a, a mistake by the opponents and just get a quick goal or something. So this, I think that's what's happened to Senegal. Senegal is getting all the lucky breaks, all the all the one-on-one encounters that are supposed to be 50-50, they're winning it. So it showed in that match against Egypt. They just tried their best to hold on to the game and maybe hopefully to take it to penalties because the pressure was much on them. They tried to say that they got a fast break initially and they missed one or two chances. Zizou missed about one or two chances. Couldn't convert. I said that also missed numerous chances during the game and also during the extra time, Senegalese tried to, um, sorry, the Egyptians tried to hold on to the game, take it to penalties, hoping that to better for them. Unfortunately, um, there was a lot of crowd pressure. I noticed Dakar Stadium, just a new stadium that was built. Um, the fans were all behind the Senegalese team and they wanted to make sure that they did everything to, for them to win the game. And they brought in lasers. Uh, I don't know why lasers were allowed into, and um, were using lasers. This is the last face showing a hit map already. So there's no way we would have seen, because when I saw the penalty, the way he played that penalty, it was clear that he wasn't seeing what he was doing. It was very wrong. Um, so the guy won the game. Unfortunately, after that, Salah was being stoned by the fans. So it was quite ugly for um, uh, for African football. Anyway, that's African football for, African football for you. Um, in African football, the end justifying the means. So the guy will be at the World Cup, Egypt will not be. And Mane and his team would 
win the 12 million dollars first of all for entering the preliminary session and on tomorrow at the draws senegal's name will be there not egypt so i can say um better luck for Egypt next time in the afcon next afcon i know the next afcon is going to be tight everybody's going to go there very very angry like nigeria egypt like algeria everybody wants to prove a point already the Iranian president has told them that they're going to host to win that is giving them a blank check go out play anybody you want to play for friendlies our fund it, go and win this tournament. So it's going to be a very interesting tournament next year. Unfortunately, we'll have to sit down at home and watch the World Cup while other flags are being flying. But um, let's just be patient. Our, our time will come. Same with Egypt and uh, Algeria. Yes, the, the time would definitely come. Well, for this World Cup, the Pharaohs would have to sit it out. And the Egyptian prince himself, Mo Salah, would have to sit it out as well. But looking at the Ballon d'Or hopes of Mo Salah, seeing that he's flying high in, in the Premier League and he's quite unstoppable there. I've had two opportunities to win something, but well, one opportunity to win something with his country in the Afghan and the opportunity to go to the World Cup, but didn't. Now, how do you think this affects his Ballon d'Or hopes, Bamidi? Um, okay, I can categorically tell you that Salah is not going to win the Ballon d'Or, and I'll say why. Let's go through the um, World Cup years and what we call World Cup tax. Um, people that have won the Ballon d'Or due to the World Cup. There are only two times where someone who didn't play well at the World Cup, let's put it that in quotes, do very well at the World Cup, didn't um, end up winning the World Cup. Or let's even make it just one. Because in 2010, when Messi won um, that title, it was meant to, everybody felt Snyder should have got in it because if we're in 2006, which when Cannavaro won, or 2002 when Ronaldo De Lima won, Salah not um, being at the World Cup, it definitely hurts his chances to actually win, win the Ballon d'Or because I don't think any other person or any other player in the world would be able to remove World Cup tax, like I said in quote, and, and go ahead to win it. In 2014, when Messi won it again, he was the best player. He was given the golden ball in, in, in the World Cup. And so I I see I I feel it's affecting Salah and I, I can tell you that he wouldn't win he wouldn't win the the, the Ballon d'Or without being in the World Cup. Well, it's painful saying that he would definitely miss out of this, like Bamji already highlighted and the reasons clearly stated. But let's move forward to the North African team who did make it through to qualify for the World Cup, and that's Morocco. We dismantled Congo 4 1 to book a place at the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. After a quarterfinal exit to Egypt at, at the AFCON, do you think it's good for African football that Morocco made it through? Remember, Bamiji, you mentioned that Morocco are one of the strongest sides, still showing their prominence technically in as part of the North African team, still dominating technically in the African space. But do you think it's good for African football that they made it through? Yeah, I was absolutely gutted when um, Egypt knocked them out in the African Cup of Nations because I, I liked what I saw from the from the Moroccan team. I mean, with Romansais in there at the back and um, Akimi running down the wings, they they looked they looked a, they, they gave me a certain vibe of what I expect should be a good technical team. Uh, and that's what we need at the World Cup. That's what any African team needs at the World Cup. We need to go there and show that, no, you guys are not just technically 
better than us. We're, we're actually more powerful than you guys. And we also have some technical brilliance within us. With the way they dismantled them, um, um, go in their in their own qualifiers, you could tell that this is the team that is really down for um, no no nonsense play or no, they, they came with a plan, they executed a plan and they even gave away finishing up, um, rounding up the scoring in that game. Yes, I, I believe that they're my best North African side as we currently speak. I prefer them to Egypt, to Algeria. Like I said, I'm using current form. And in, in terms of what I watched, I, I, I'm happy that Morocco are one of the North African teams that'll be in the World Cup. Thank you, Amiji. I'm also excited that Morocco is going to be at the World Cup. I have a soft spot for them. Another team I have a soft spot for is Mali. Um, I also like Tunisia, but I, I kind of wanted Mali to go in ahead of Tunisia. I, I as as much as this, um, Tunisia had a bad um, had a bad World Cup last time. I think it was luck of the draw because they're. If I remember correctly, their group had uh, Belgium and England, which didn't didn't work out in their favor. But I, I wanted Mali to go through, but Tunisia did, and it's not bad. Uh, it's still, it's still a good team, it's still a very good team. But what are your thoughts on, on Tunisia going through? Do you think they deserved it? And what can you expect from them going forward? Well, um, I think Tunisia generally, um, same with other North African teams, they have what they call proper game management. They know how to manage games when it comes to all these um, tight affairs. And you can see the way they manage Nigeria's the game against Nigeria and they're able to scrap out the results. They had a very bad, poor nation's cup. Um, the only shining light in that nation's cup was just the game against Nigeria. Um, that game against Nigeria was coached by their assistant coach. Um, that was why it was easy for them to make the decision to hand him over the job after the AFCON, because he, he, they could see his performance against Nigeria, which was their best performance, and they just sacked their, their former coach for employing him, and it has worked out for them. He has qualified them for the World Cup now. Um, I would say um, traditional football, um, they've learned a lot of lessons from the past. I remember as far back as 94, 93, 94, Tunisia, um, had a high reliance on foreign-based players, players in Germany, players in Saudi Arabia, players in France, just like um, the Algerians do now. Um, but it didn't work out for them. They also did the Nations Cup. They had a very disastrous Nations Cup. And I remember a newspaper article, a Tunisian newspaper article, drawing the coffee in front of the newspaper saying Tunisian football was dead. And they did a, a total rejuvenation of the whole Tunisian FA disbanded all the players and they created the team from scratch, made up of mostly players from Etoile Dusayel, Esperance, and um, Club African. Um, most of the players were home base. They had a good coach employed. Um, I think it was Harry Kapsazak at that time. They got the next nation's cup, they got to the final of the AFCON. And I think since then, traditional football has been much better. They're always at the forefront when it's African football. They've been going to the World Cup several times. They were in the last World Cup also. And they're also going to this World Cup, which is a good plus for them. All right, thanks a lot, Uyibo, for that. And it's a lot of talk, but we have to face the big question in front of us now, which is the five teams who are representing Africa in the 2022 World Cup at Qatar. 
these five teams, Ghana, the Black Stars, Senegal, the Taranga Lions, Cameroon, the Indomitable Lions, Tunisia, the Eagles of Carthage, and Morocco, the Lions of Atlas. Do we think they can do a job at the World Cup? And is this the best Africa has to offer at this time? Mamiji, what's your take on this? Well, yeah, I already, I think I've given away my my soft spot for the Moroccan national team. But, but for, now, for now, I'm going to go with what is obvious. And that's the best team in the land. The team that actually won the African Cup of Nations, and that's Senegal. Um, Uyi has absolutely spoken so well all throughout this um, conversation, but I'm going to disagree with him when he keeps on saying that not, not African scientists have more organization than um, the, their other counterparts, because I mean, we did, we've seen Senegal, we've seen what, how they grew from the group stages. Yes, the performances were poor at the start, but they ensured results kept um, being at a certain point because they're just trying to get it. A playing style, a, a, a system that will work for them. Game when they go into the um, knockout stages, they kept on growing, growing, growing until they they got to a very strong side. They absolutely played better than Egypt in that final. By the way, it was just on a on a side note that I went to penalties. But I I think I think Sadio Mane once he puts on that Senegal shirt, we see we see a lot of players that turn into something else when they put on the national team shirt. It's not really at the best of times in Liverpool in the past couple of seasons, but anytime he puts on that Senegal shirt, he turns to the creator. And his passes are always so amazing. Um, at least Salusis, the left-back, always benefits so much from when Mane gets the ball and drops back. You see him bombarding forward because he knows Mane is going to put the ball exactly where he wants it, where he needs it. And with that mentality, um, I, I think Senegal can be the, the, the best we have to offer because one, if they're going to feed off Sadio Mane's energy, it, since his days at Southampton, he's one player that is never afraid to play anybody. And just like we said, we have African teams who go play against European teams and they, they look like they're shy, but Sadio Mane is definitely not a player. So if the Senegal team can feed off that energy with Koulibaly at the back, with Mendy, probably the best goalkeeper in the past two years, Yes, we, they can give us something tangible. Fair point, Damiji. It's it's going to be a tough one. Um, for every African team that qualifies, it's going to be a very tough one. But then, as you said, Senegal have the quality. They have the players. They have that togetherness. And there's something about winning trophies together. In this case, now they've won. They have come together. There's this bond that they've built and they are on the right track heading into heading into the World Cup. Maybe Morocco would also spring some surprises here and there. And speaking of surprises, we who do you think is going to make it out of the group stage? Because for African teams, the group stage is usually where we stop. But who would you tip to make it beyond, regardless of the draw, who do you think is that good? that can make it beyond the group stage and get to the knockout phase, and why? Well, uh, I'll just stick with what Babji said. Um, Senegal is a team that's out tip. Um, reasons why is that um, in football, once a team has a lot of confidence, they tend to get better results. Senegal seems, Senegalese team is confident. What brings about the confidence? They have victories, trophy they won, 
everything is going right for them. The FA, everything is working out fine. The dog squabbles the team. And most importantly, they have a lot of players playing in big clubs. That is the difference between Senegalese team and the so-called super eagles that we call, like to call our national team. What's super about the eagles? We don't have a lot of big players in very, very big clubs. We have players in Leicester, we have players in Rangers, but can, can you really classify them as big clubs like Liverpool, like Napoli, like PSG of this world? They're not there. So the earlier we start getting players there, I know because there's a big challenge because um, the new uh, football policies doesn't favor the anglophone countries. That's why you see countries like Nigeria and Ghana, they're not at their best as they used to be in the 90s because when a player lives now, lives Nigeria, lives Ghana, where is he going to? You cannot just, you can no longer just take you and go straight to England because that's possibly the, the that's, that's our colonial master and that's possibly the place where you'll be able to um, quickly adapt and get a club, maybe Division 2 or Division 3. But a Senegalese player plays well in Senegal, well, you know, he goes to Division 3 in France and it's blended event there. He gets a good season, moves to Division 1 in France. Before you know, an English team has bought him and he's in the Premiership. So we don't have this kind of privilege anymore. We have our players, best player in the Jolly, who seem good to Leicester or um, Malta. Before you know it, he's, nobody knows where he is anymore. So we don't have to rely on players who are born in England or born somewhere. So it's, I think the policies um, driving football is no longer favorable. I remember the Ivory national team some years back, they had the affiliation with, with the Belgian club Beveren, and 13 players from Bever um, the I think it was Stella Abidjan or something. I can't remember the club of club. The team players from that club in Abidjan moved to Beveren in Belgium. The team players. Look, the team players are the players that form the bulk of the Ivory national team now. Or most of the players that are in the Ivory national team came from that club, Stella Abidjan in Cote d'Ivoire, and they moved to Beveren. So you need to have that kind of affiliation in, in Africa more. Like for countries like Nigeria and other other uh, Anglophone countries, so be able to meet up with those Anglophone countries. If, if that doesn't happen with time, you see that countries like Senegal, countries like Mali become the powerhouses in West Africa. While Nigeria, Ghana will go down the train. So I, I still believe that um, Senegalese team, they have confidence and they can go up to the, they can get to the quarterfinals. They have a lot of confidence and they have a leader in Sergio Mane. Most, most important that you have it, a, a player that is a leader and he leads by example. So that's what that's the team out. Thank you very much, Uyi, for that one. And and I I feel every African would be rooting for these five sides, especially Senegal, who are currently the African champions. Well, I wish we had more time on this episode, but we have to end it here. Thanks for sticking with us till the end. And trust we'll be here again when the group stage draws are done to talk about what we can expect as Africans to come out from the teams depending on the draws they get. Don't forget to like and subscribe on any platform you use to listen so you don't miss out on any of the amazing content we are putting out. It's bye for now. Cheers and see you all later.